Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Veridesian Tales, The Hidden Woodlands. It's the name of the new book. It's co-authored by Lori Raven and Alexis Cantor, and I'm really happy to be talking with Lori right here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, well, hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be doing this this evening. Well, the pleasure's all mine, Lori. Can you tell me all about Veridesian Tales? Oh, yeah, I sure can. <laughs> and I will insert some things that my co-author, my granddaughter, I'll refer to her probably as Lexi throughout some of our conversation. She's coached me on some thoughts she wants me to share, so I'll have some of her things inserted there, too. Wonderful. Basically, our story opens a door to a breathtaking magical woodland with many forest creatures, abundant plant life, all of whom have some remarkable adaptations they've made because of this special environment. And we also have some organic magic going on in our story. Our story starts with Kat at 10 years old, and she's alone now, having been left when she, after her sixth birthday by her parents to do the job of guardian over the Veridesian forest that she's living in. She's living in a high-tech treehouse right in the heart of the forest, and it's her inherited responsibility to take care of the forest, its well-being, and all the creatures who live within it. She has to do all this by herself, along with the animals that, that live with her. The life is peaceful, harmonious. The days pass very happily for Kat and her animal friends as she does this job. But you know, we know there's nothing as certain as change in this world, and it's no different for Viridesia. And when the regular world around them, including some unusual young people, start entering her forest, Kat finds herself struggling to balance the responsibility she has with her need to interact with other people her age, which she's never had a chance to do. And maybe maybe she'll have some friends for the first time in her life. She does have to deal with some threatening challenges, and she has to deal with them in a nonviolent manner because they're committed to that in Veridesia and all of the lands that have Veridesians living there. She has to protect the secrecy and the well-being of her woods and all the creatures who live in there. And you know, just like for all of us, the teenage years are a time in life that's filled with roller coaster emotions, physical changes, mm. and self-discovery. And, you know, Kat does not get a hall pass on that stuff, so to speak. From this stage of life, she has to cope with everything that every teenager in, and pre-teenager in our world today has to cope with. She has to do all that, and she's still responsible for protecting that hidden world, keeping it secret, and keeping everyone there safe. Laura, you got to tell me, how did the idea for this come about? I just love how imaginative and creative it is. Well, I'm glad you asked that because it, it came about when my granddaughter, Lexi, was, who's also my co-author, was three and a half years old. We started changing the pretend role-playing games that she liked to do. It started out with the whole Hello Kitty thing. And then when she hit three and a half, she decided she wanted to be a woodland girl and decided that her name was going to be Cat and it was going to be magical. I got to be Emma, who's also one of our characters, who was appearing to be a regular human around her same age. And as Lexi grew up, 
the plots of all these pretend plays that we would play probably one or two times a week. These plots became more intricate and more sophisticated as she matured. And we actually played these evolving versions of the Woodland Girl over more than five years. But in, in every play, she was Cat, <laughs> I was Emma, she lived in a treehouse, and there were magical, incredibly gifted animals surrounding us. I'm grown up and I'm thinking, why am I still having so much fun playing <laughs> these games? You know, I really liked it. Mm. Not just because of the escape to the magic, to the fun, and the quality time I'm playing and spending with my granddaughter, but there were some messages in there that, that we were sharing as well about nonviolence, about mm. taking care of each other, about being compassionate. And all of these ideas made it really fun. And then I asked her, Stephen, maybe we should share these stories because they are so much fun. She's always loved to read and write since the time she was about two and a half. So I really shouldn't have been surprised when she says, okay, let's write a book. Mm. And I said, <laughs> okay, let, let's do that. Then we started writing. Well, I know readers are really going to love this book, and I encourage them to check it out. The title is Veridesian Tales, The Hidden Woodlands. It's written by Lori Raven and Alexis Cantor, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Lori, thank you so much again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about this wonderful book. I hope you can talk again for the next one. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for the time and listening to our little endeavor <laughs> with the book. I really appreciate it. Joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Michael Meyer. Michael, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate the offer. Well, the pleasure's all mine. There's a new book you have out in stores right now. It's called The Odyssey of Winnie, Our Two-Year Adventure Owning an RV. So, Mike, can you tell me what this is all about? Yeah, so... A few years ago, we decided to uh, buy an RV, and you really have to understand that I am the least likely person on the planet to actually camp or own an RV, <laughs> and we sort of walked through the process of how I came to realize we needed to have an RV for a big trip that we were going to take across the country. And so this sort of, what it turned out is not only am I bad at camping, but apparently I'm bad at driving too. <laughs> and so there was just a whole slew of disasters that happened from the very first second we picked up the RV until we finally sold it. Having told these stories to lots of people, someone said, hey, you should write that down. I'm like, all right. <laughs> and so I just sort of worked through the process of our two years of owning the RV, most of which was me making a fool of myself and <laughs> not being able to blame anybody else, but apparently my bad driving skills. <laughs> now, this book covers a two-year odyssey, like you said. So did it take you that long to write it, or was it a longer, shorter process when it came to writing this? Actually, writing it probably went pretty quickly because so much of it were stories that I've told before. And so for me, I got to relive so many of these really fun, funny experiences. I'm, I'm lucky I have a beautiful, wonderful, awesome wife who's incredibly patient and has a great sense of humor. And so whereas most wives might have yelled and screamed, we just <laughs> laughed at my own stupidity. You know, as I was sort of writing it, as I sort of was telling a story and writing it up, I would then we'd have dinner with the whole family. I would then ask them, is this what you remember? Because this is what I remember. 
and you know the kids would would sort of relive the experience and my wife would kind of relive her experience and the emotions that we were feeling and and we all got to kind of relive our two years with Winnie kind of all over again so for me it was it was just a delight to write because it, it we just had some great conversations at, at dinner sort of talking about all these things that we had done mm-hmm. I could only imagine what it was like there whenever you got your first copy in and you got to actually hold your book for that first time. What was that like, Mike? You know, it was great. I, I guess I just it would be better if other people were sort of interested in really laughing and experiencing this with me. Hmm. It's not just sort of a story of our time, but I try to provide a slew of helpful hints. So if you're interested in, in owning an RV, don't make the same mistakes I did. <laughs> and so I, everything that I wish I would have known that I learned after the fact sort of gets built into this. So it's like, you know, when you buy an RV, they just hand you the keys. My test drive was about three miles going straight 45 miles an hour. So I made the fatal mistake of telling my wife, because she remembers these statements. I'm like, yeah, this is like driving a minivan. <laughs> because going 45 miles an hour straight without turning is pretty much like a minivan. Mm. But unfortunately, when you actually have to drive it, you make turns. <laughs> you, know, you have to go through toll booths and things like that, where you know the first time going down the toll road, we were on the toll road for maybe 30 seconds, and you know, we didn't know to batten down the hatches. So the first thing, the coffee pot goes flying across the floor and <laughs> smashes to a thousand pieces. We've literally been driving maybe 100 yards onto the toll road, and this is how it starts. <laughs> You know, when you buy one of these crazy things, because it was 35 feet long, and when you pick it up, you know, we had like an hour and a half orientation of all of the different components, whether the electrical system and the plumbing system, and they had all five of our family members there. So like, well, no one's going to remember everything, but somebody might remember something, and so that's five set of ears. And so they're going all through this. You know, if we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about putting the awning down and putting it back up, could we not carve out five minutes to say, hey, this is how you turn it. Because when you turn sharp, the back end of the RV swings 12 feet wide and will take out anything and anyone in that distance. Had I known that little piece of information, that could have saved me thousands of money in repairs. I really think a lot of readers are going to love this book. It's called The Odyssey of Winnie, Our Two-Year Adventure Owning an RV. This is written by Michael Meyer, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find this one everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Mike, thank you again for joining me here on the show and telling me all about the Odyssey of Winnie. I hope we get to talk again sometime soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And uh, hey, buy the book. Sitting down with me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Rosanna Kachatrian. Rosanna, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's my pleasure. It's fantastic. You have a new book. It just hits store shelves. It's called The Star Will Take You Out of Darkness. Rosanna, can you tell me what this book's all about? The book is about Jesus Christ and how I came to know him. And then how he appeared in my life when I was not even familiar about who is he. And I mean, I was atheist because I was in university. I was brainwashed with all these Marx, Engels, Lenin theories, all about evolution. But then then he just made me a different person. Hmm. Have you ever written before or been published before this? Uh, No, never. Uh, Congratulations. How long did this take you to write? 
It's actually, it didn't take me a long time because all these stories, what's in a book, it was all in my mind because, you know, it's kind of like Jesus Christ. He was just preparing me all this time, you know, because he knew that one day I'm going to have to write this book. Mm. He was preparing me so such an incredible ways. But then when I later understood about that, I was just crying, couldn't keep my tears because I realized that how he was working in my life, what he was taking me from where to where, it's amazing. Rosanna, what kinds of readers did you have in mind for The Star Will Take You Out of Darkness? I think there are so many people who are somehow drift away from God because of, I don't know, some something happened to their lives and they got just away from God. Mm. And then when they read my book, knowing that some girl who had no idea about the God and then how for me, like not knowing the Bible, and not knowing the God, and then came to realize that he's real, he's existing. And then I came so close to God, like every day, he's part of my life, like every minute, every second, I cannot live without him. I know reading my book, it will bring a lot of people close to him. They will understand that, okay, this girl never knew God, never knew Bible, but Every story which is in a book, it's real. It's not made up story or it's not my fantasy or something. All is real stories which are proving his existence. That's how a lot of people, they will understand that God is real. He's not just like somebody's fantasy or keeping people to be scared from something. No, Jesus Christ is real. He is real. And I saw him with my own eyes. I experienced him. He gave me so many dreams and visions which came true on a time. And later, his words, whatever he was telling me in my dreams, later on when I start to know the Bible, and I was finding his words, like he was speaking with his own, like he was speaking and saying all these words was in a Bible I found out. That's how I mm-hmm. decided I have to write the book. Rosanna, do you have plans to write and maybe publish more in the future after this? I don't know. It depends if God is going to continue to give me a prophetic dreams. It's hard for me to decide. Of course, he gave me a lot of them and I didn't put in my book because whatever he gave me, it already became true. But some of them, it's not yet, but I don't know if I have to put them and make another book or maybe I will write something else. But what I love is all realistic things. I don't like fantasies. I love history. I love the realistic things. I don't know. It depends how the life is going to go, what can happen. But anything from my power, if I can really talk about Jesus Christ and prove his existence, I will be open for that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of readers are really going to be into your extraordinary story, Rosanna. The title of the book is The Star Will Take You Out of Darkness. It's written by Rosanna Kachatrian and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can buy it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Rosanna, thank you again for joining me on the show here tonight and telling me all about your story and your book. I hope we can talk again sometime. Thank you so much, and it was a pleasure for me. I'm joined right now by author Keith Boyce here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Keith, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
Well, you have a new book out in stores right now titled Zebedee's Fish Market. So, Keith, can you tell me what readers can expect? It's my take on filling in the believability to bring Bible characters to life. Many of us know the story of James and John and Peter and Andrew on the shore. Jesus comes by and says, you know, I'll make you fishers of men. They drop their nets and they follow. I like that. I believe it. But I also believe that it probably wasn't the first time that they saw him. So I decided to fill in some blanks for, for myself. And it, it's, a, it's a good conversation piece for parents with children and a nice story anyway. How did the idea for this come about, Keith? The idea probably started, I did a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with my wife and a, and a church group about six, seven years ago. So you kind of was in, you know, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, waited in the Sea of Galilee hmm. at the uh, Church of the Primacy of Peter, you know, walked through Capernaum. And so that kind of just sat there and said, this is history, it's real. You know, so you get that feeling. And then uh, as my oldest grandson got older, he'd want you know, bedtime stories. So you just started one night. I kind of pieced a little bit of this together and had it in my mind. I was talking to some friends two Christmases ago. They were talking about The Chosen. And I mentioned this and I said, Keith, you really should do something more with it. You know, I said, that's a neat little idea. This is what I hadn't seen any of The Chosen yet. And said, right, we, we have to stick with facts when we know facts, but we can also fill in some blanks. Did Zebedee's Fish Market take you a long time to write? No. no again, they, uh, it's a little bit like I've got a, you know work experience putting together a presentation, putting together a document, things along those lines over the years. So you kind of get the main points in your mind. So this story probably percolated in my mind for a few months, but that's the beauty of a children's book. It's not so long that you can actually go uh, pen to paper or a keyboard to document over a, a few days to get the draft together, you know, go through the your own little editing process. I had my wife do some editing and, and double checking and double check your scripture. If you're going to, if you're going to tie in, get it right. Mm. And again, it was uh, proud of it and submitted it to Covenant Books and it was accepted. And I didn't know from there whether it really was good or they accept everything, but it was kind of like, okay, let's see what the process does. Keith, when that day came and you got that first physical copy of Zebedee's Fish Market in, what was that moment like for you? It really was. It, it was it was special getting the, uh, you know, a real, especially the hard copy book. The paperback copies came first, and I was bringing one of those, giving each of the grandchildren one of those, but I brought one down to my daughter in Charlotte, and it wasn't the hard copy one. I had left one on the coffee table. The youngest is just 18 months, and she was out early on Sunday morning, the morning we're leaving, and she wanders over, picks up the, the book. She pulls it over to her chair. I happened to catch a picture, not thinking that this was all this pre-planned moment. It just makes me smile every time I look at it. That she's reading Pop's book. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a neat feeling. Is this your first time in the arena of writing and publishing, Keith? Not, not a book. I've uh, a career in technology, so I've had some articles written in a couple of magazine articles. I've had a number of technical journal papers written, so I'm not a bad writer. I've been mean, uh, grammatically pretty good, uh, know how to do a story, but this is, you know, nothing like this ever tried. Do you think we can expect more from you in the future as far as writing and publishing, Keith? Yeah, I do. I've got kind of, <laughs> I've got one that's uh, along the same lines and probably might try to get it actually uh, written between uh, Christmas and New Year's when I get a little bit of time to really sit down and think about that. But another little, uh, some Bible characters, which everyone knows by name, but don't really know the story, how they became friends of Jesus. So 
that and I think it's the pilgrimage is good. I've got I've got another one, and I don't know whether it's a short story, a picture book, or uh, something more deep with uh, Saint James. I just came back with the uh, from a pilgrimage to uh, Santiago de Compostela. Here's another person who's known, he's revered throughout Spain, and there's very little written about the man. So it's like that's a canvas that I'd like to work on also. But I just don't know that don't know that work is. But I'm inspired to do something. Well, I know families are going to love this book. It's called Zebedee's Fish Market. It's written by Keith Boyce, and it's published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can pick it up everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Keith, it's been really great having you on the show and talking about the book. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, I did too. Thank you very much. Whispers of the Heart, A Child's Destiny. That's the new book. It just hit stores now. It's co-authored by Eileen Travis and Ella Linden. I'm really happy that both authors are right here with me now, and we get to chat all about this book. Eileen, Ella, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. We're excited. Yes, thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Can you tell me what readers are in store for with Whispers of the Heart? Well, let's say it's going to be just a sweet, charming story, but it's between some princesses and their adventures with choice and accountability. So it takes you through just a little bit of a life lesson. And Whispers of the Heart is just a magical story that will inspire one's choices as they experience life and move through this journey, hopefully, and help them to realize the beauty of making good choices. Yes, you will follow a child's journey through the whimsical realm of choice and accountability. The reader will be able to follow each outcome of the princess as they live and learn through their personal discovery. Hmm. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? Children. We love those babies. We're both (laughs) mothers of four. Mm -hmm. And I have 15 grandchildren. Wow. And the time that we spent with them and what we see happening in the world as far as just understanding accountability and the importance of being the ownership of good or bad hmm. and being able to be strong and face that. And so we wanted our children and our family and grandchildren to be able to be those type of humans, to be an asset. So we focused on the young ones that could learn in a sweet, whimsical, magical world of princesses and castles and all of the good <laughs> sweet stuff, but learn a hard lesson at the same time. It's a great message. Well, I'm curious, how did the idea for this book come about? I woke up one morning and the idea came into my mind. And then I called Ella because for the 10 years that I have known her, people would come up to her and say, when are you going to write your book? (laughs) And I guess that they could see this ability in her. And I saw it right off. So I called her that morning and I said, hey, this is the idea I have. How would you like to write this book with me? Was it something that took a long time to do, being co-authors? Well, we got together once a week because we don't live next to each other. And it took us a year to write it. And then it took us another year and a half to have it illustrated. When it comes to writing or publishing, what sorts of backgrounds do you guys have? None. Zero. (laughs) (laughs) This was... This is uh, our first rodeo. Yes. Just a whim and we did it and here we are. Hmm. I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing that. What advice would each of you have for the aspiring authors who are listening right now? Do it. Go for it. Just do it. Don't listen to anybody. If you have that spirit inside of you saying, write, 
put your pen to paper and go for it. Conquer your fears. Amen. Just do it. Great advice. And there's nothing like seeing that final product, the thing you've been working so hard on. So when the first physical copy of Whispers of the Heart came in, what was that moment like for you? Oh, my gosh. First of all, there was screaming and shouting and jumping and dancing. <laughs> now, that's older women doing that. So picture that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Not as graceful as a few decades ago. Yes. But, and then there came tears of gratitude and joy. Mm-hmm. We laughed till we cried and we cried till we laughed. <laughs> yes. It was just magical. We have a cute little saying that we say, we were pregnant for two and a half years and the baby is beautiful. Our book is our baby. Mm. What are the chances then you might give birth again in the future? You might write another one after this. Oh, you're picking to find out secrets, but Mm. we'll tell you one. (laughs) There's a couple of on the back burner. Yes. Fantastic. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book and should definitely check it out. It's called Whispers of the Heart, A Child's Destiny. It's written by Eileen Travis and Ella Linden, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can grab it up anywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Eileen, Ella, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about Whispers of the Heart. I had such a nice time talking with you. Thank, thank you for having, having us. us. And may we all find the whispers of our heart. <laughs> Sitting down with me here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Art Still. Art, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's called Poison Ivy. So, Art, what's this one all about? Well, this is about growing up in America in the late 60s, early 70s, and all the challenges that a lot of people, especially people my age, especially males my age, were faced with and the decisions they made and how it affected them. Hmm. What sorts of readers do you think would be really into your story? Well... I believe that anybody who's ever been in the military or has had a family member that was in the military, Mm. and of course, people who have Vietnam veterans for their father or their brother or whatever, they'd be, I think, particularly interested in it. But I think in general, most people would be if they've got any idea of the military and what it does for everybody. I'm curious about the title of the book, Poison Ivy. How did you come about that? Well... Poison Ivy was a very popular song back in 1959. It was by the Coasters, and the wording in there, the the name of the song was Poison Ivy, and when I was in basic training and advanced training, the Army, what they did, they would take the popular songs of the day, and they would change the words to meet as long as it fit the cadence that they wanted us to, you know, produce at, whether we were running or exercising, whatever. Hmm. So it just seemed like an appropriate title, especially since, I wound up being assigned to the 4th Infantry Division, which was also known as the Ivy Division. And some people, or a lot of people, refer to it as the Poison Ivy Division. Hmm. How did you get the idea to write this? What made you decide to write your story and then publish it? Well, to write the story, I had been dealing with lots of mental problems, let's say, trouble sleeping and all this other stuff that I thought I was just dealing with. But I found out after about 45 years that it was due to my experiences, especially in Vietnam, but in life in general, 
So anyway, I was referred to the local VA hospital. I was living in Reno, Nevada at the time, and he suggested that I go down there since I was a Vietnam veteran because they were starting to treat us a little bit better than they had for the last 45 years. Went down there, saw a doctor. The first time I saw the doctor, she said, I'm referring you to mental health. And I said, why? I'm not, you know, crazy or anything like that. She said, because you exhibit all kinds of signs of PTSD and I think you need help. So long story short, I went through extensive counseling at the VA and one of the psychologists that I had one-on-one counseling with, she always told me that the only way you're going to put, you know, your feelings and everything behind you is you've got to write about it and, you know, get all the feelings out, put them out in the open so people can read them or see them at least. So she assigned me that once a week, she would tell me, okay, I want you to pick out one incident when you were over in Vietnam and you write me a, you know, a seven page little story about it. And then we would talk about it and she'd go over every word I wrote and everything. But anyway, after 12 weeks of counseling, she said, I think you're really doing better with your PTSD. She said, I really think you should think about writing a book. Even if it never gets published, just write a book just so you know, you know, and if you, your friends ever ask for anything, you know, you can let them read it or nothing or something like that, even if nobody else cares about it. So basically, it was her telling me that you should put this stuff in writing and get it out there. Well, that's fantastic. Did Poison Ivy take you a long time to write? I spent uh, about 10 or 11 months actually writing it. I Hmm. took all those things that I had written for the psychologist. I got to keep a copy of what I wrote, although she kept a copy too. So I kept that, and then I sat down about probably five or six days a week for about two hours, and I would just put all the notes in order and get it all out there. So it took me about 10 or 11 months to actually write the book. Hmm. It seems that you found out that writing is, in fact, really good medicine art. So do you plan on writing more and maybe publishing more in the future? I intend to. I'm, I've got two other books that I started on already. One of them I'm really stuck on. The other one I'm in, well into chapter two. So uh, they're not going to be anything like this book, but I can write about other stuff. I know a lot of people are really going to be into this book and should check it out. The title is Poison Ivy. It's written by Art Still, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one up everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and Google Play and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Art, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your work. I had a fantastic time talking with you. Thank you. I enjoyed it, too. The book I have with me here now is all about overcoming fear. It's titled Fearful Fanny, The Reality of the Fearful Becoming Fearless. It's written by Hope Baldwin, and Hope is right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. Hope, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Tori. Really glad to be talking with you today. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Fearful Fanny? It's about a young girl evolving from a fearful mindset, reality, into a very fearless one. What sorts of readers did you have in mind for Fearful Fanny, Hope? Well, although it's a children's book, I'm sure other age groups can have some good takeaways from it. I mean, we all need to overcome our fears in life. Mm. Have you ever written or published a book before this, Hope? Yes, I've written a book of several short stories regarding COVID, about how we all experienced similar situations during the pandemic or knew someone who experienced a similar situation. We was all going through similar situations and we was all in it together. Hope, can you think back to when you got the inspiration where the spark hit you to write this book and then go get it published? Well, like many people, I was a fearful young lady, and I overcame some of my fears 
it just kind of came to me, you know, like with everything that I write, you know, I get a thought and I just process it into a book. I thought if I can write the book and help at least one child, it's worth writing. Did Fearful Fanny take you a long time to write and publish? The public process, no. The writing, you know, it was amid COVID, so I was kind of like every day adding a little bit to it. It was like, I was saying less than a year. It took me less than a year. What was it like after all that time you spent working on this to finally get that first copy, that hard copy of Fearful Fanny And What was that like? Oh, it was so surreal. I mean, I have other publications that I wanted, other creations that I want to get published. And I was glad I chose to publish that one at the time. Hope, do you have any advice for the aspiring authors who are listening to us now? Just do it. My advice is consistent. Just do it. Put it out there. See what people like and experience what not to do next time. Well, writing a book is one thing, but then publishing it is a whole other thing. Hope, what did you find the most challenging about the publishing end of things? Fulton Books is awesome. They was very patient with me because they knew I was a new artist. They was right there for me every step of the way. Um, Trying to work and look over everything was really my challenge because I get home from work, I'm exhausted. Then I had to look over the things to give them the okay to go forward with the next phase of the book process, the publication process. So it really was on my end because I was trying to work and write at the same time. And I had recently retired Then I went back to work. So my body had to catch up with what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as the publication process, it was awesome. It was awesome. There wasn't no problems with the publication process. Do you think you'll be writing and publishing more in the future? Yes, always. I'm always thinking. I'm always, I have millions of books in my head. (laughs) I have a couple of written down that I didn't even publish yet. So yes, next year, another book may be coming out. When you go to write, Hope, are you the kind of author who outlines everything, you know, the beginning, middle, and end, how everything's going to go? Or do you start with an idea and just discover where it goes from there? I never know the ending. I mean, sometimes I have to tell myself, you have to stop the book. The book can't go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) So I get the thought and, you know, as I go along, you know, I'm just processing a lot of things. And then I look down and see how many pages I've written. And I'm like, okay, you just have to stop the book. (laughs) And with one book, I stopped. And then I wrote a part two because it's like I just couldn't let that. (laughs) I couldn't let it go. But I love writing. I love writing. You know, I can write all day. Have you ever gotten writer's block? Never. (laughs) I don't understand what that means yet. I hope I never do. Because I hear people say, you know, on television, you know how they get a writer's block and they try to do all these different things. The thoughts just keep coming to me. God is good. God is good. I know readers are going to love this book. It's titled Fearful Fanny, The Reality of the Fearful Becoming Fearless. It's written by Hope Baldwin, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Hope, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time chatting with you tonight. I did, too. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your evening. Author Donna Belgrove has written a new book that aims to encourage readers to remain steadfast and unmovable in their faith in God. The book is titled, I'm Still Standing, and Donna is talking with me now all about it. Welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. 
It's a pleasure to have you. Can you tell me all about I'm Still Standing? What can readers expect? I'm Still Standing, uh, first of all, is an inspirational book with the intention to educate, to empower, to inspire, to encourage the wounded and the battered soul there, both in the body of Christ as well as out of the body of Christ. And this book is a statement or, or rather a testament to the power of God with emphasis on thankfulness and determination. And there is a powerful message of hope that readers will find strength during their valleys of life or their storms of life. This book contains some testimonies where I myself have encountered many challenges myself as a believer in Christ. I spoke about some of this in the book with some near-death experiences by a spiritual wickedness. Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Mm. So I have encountered some of these things, and I understand that no, when you go through these things, no, N-O does not take us to our final destination, but it means the next opportunity. And so I did not give up. I remain standing solid on the Word of God in spite of what I've been through. Doors were slammed in my face. Fear, I've encountered fear. But, you know, God has said that He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So that sound mind there kept me focused, you know, Mm. and I am so grateful to God for all that he's done. And the book also tells us that there is hope, hope for the wounded, hope for anyone who has encountered some kind of difficulty, no matter what you've been through, the situation that you may have encountered, when it seemed that you, you know, sometimes you have felt as if you were pushed under a bus or you are between a rock and a hard place, you must understand that you can stand. We must understand that, that we can stand with God on our side, <laughs> with God in the ship. <laughs> Donna, what sparked you or inspired you to write this book? My situation I have encountered inspired me. My children inspired me, some struggles that I've been through. And I said, you know what? I want to be a great help to someone else Mm. to help them and to take them through a place and to help them to understand that the God that we serve, he's well able to do, as the word rightly says, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ever ask. And that was my greatest inspiration, really, in writing this book. Was it a book that took you a long time to write and then put through the publishing process? I started the book a few years ago, and then I put it down. Mm. You know, I put it down, really. And as I encountered my struggles, I began to write again. And then it was prophesied over my life that I should pick up the book that I have started writing. And I was like, how could this person, how could this prophet know that I was writing this book? You know, and I I procrastinated, but with the help of God, I was able to write this book and to bring it where it is today. Hmm. I think a lot of people are going to be helped out and encouraged by Donna's book. It's titled, I'm Still Standing, 
It's written, of course, by Donna Belgrove, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Donna, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Thanks again for joining me here on the show. Thanks for having me again, and have a blessed day. Thank you. I do appreciate every moment. Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness. It's the new book. It just hits stores. It's written by Joshua K. Darnall. And Joshua's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about it. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me all about Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness? Sure, yeah. It all started with me growing up without a father and really kind of seeking to understand, you know, what being a man is about. And in high school, I actually started this concept where I was focused on my spiritual, my mental, my emotional, and my physical aspects of myself. And then it grew into the seven dimensions, you know, adding professional and relational and professional and all these other aspects. And really in the course of counseling clients for now 12 years and my master's degree in psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy and really working with people from all walks of life. I did two years of mental health counseling on Skid Row. I work with clients in Malibu that have, you know, seven figure incomes. And really seeing how when we're not balanced between our spiritual, our mental, our emotional, our physical, our professional, our financial, and our relational, that it really creates a discord. No matter how much money someone is making, no matter you know how good maybe their family life is, no matter how good their job is, if there's not balance in these other aspects of someone else's complete wellness, then that creates discord. For example... You know, I work with clients, you know, that make a lot of money, they're on TV, you know, mm. everyone, you know, wants to be them type of thing. But yet, you know, their kids, you know, have issues or they're on their third marriage. And so it's not about, you know, how much money I can make or, you know, this or that. It's about, you know, really having balance. And that really what creates true self-actualization, which is obviously a Maslow's term, which is really about feeling wealthy in your life. And obviously, wealthy is not just about being rich. Wealthy is having the complete aspect of everything working well in your life. Hmm. Joshua, once you decided to write this book, was it a process that took you a long time to complete? It did. <laughs> yeah, it took 12 years, actually. Wow. You know, I'm a self-made multimillionaire. I was creating, I'm an entrepreneur. I was creating three businesses. I actually used to be a, a college football coach for 14 years, oh, wow. and I left my full-time offensive coordinator position, and I was also teaching college English at Azusa Pacific University in, uh, in 2009, and Spirit told me to leave, and I resigned and uh, moved to Santa Monica, and, and I was able you know, just to you know, live off the stock market. The stock market's been a passion of mine since I was 18, so I really had a lot of freedom because I didn't really need any money, and I asked Spirit, I said, okay, what do we do now? I took all of 2010 completely off, but then 2011, I, I was ready to be of service, you know, to humanity and spirit then told me, okay, start helping people. And so the intention for this book started way back then. But again, I was getting my master's degree in psychology. I was getting my spiritual counseling license. I was creating three uh, businesses from the ground up. So finally, you know, during COVID, I was able to finish the book. So can we expect more books from you in the future, do you think? Definitely. Um, I'm actually working on my second book. 
called the magical formula, and it's based off of the original symbol of God, which is IHVH. The names Jehovah and Yahweh came from the symbol IHVH. God was actually never supposed to have a name because how can the Alpha and the Omega have a name? You know, once you name something, it is defined, and, and God is, it cannot be defined. And really what IHVH teaches us is actually how to truly manifest. And it is a formula. And as you dive into what each letter represents, then you understand a 100% formula that will always get you whatever you desire. The current teachings of manifestation are needed because they're, you know, kind of more of an introductory level, but it's not 100%. You know, I've been doing spiritual counseling for 12 years and so many people come to me with mixed results, you know, about the current teachings of manifestation. The IHVH symbol completely gives you everything you need for when you follow the formula correctly. It happens 100% and I'm a living testimony of that. I think a lot of people are going to be helped out by this book. The title is Know Thyself, The Seven Dimensions of Wellness. This is written by Joshua K. Darnall, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab this one up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Joshua, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about Know Thyself and everything that you've got going on. I had a really nice time talking with you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure for me to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, Janet Rowe. Janet, thanks for joining me here again. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's great to be speaking with you again. You have a new book out in stores titled Area. Can you tell me what readers can expect? Well, this book, I found that I'm writing religious fantasy, hmm. which is maybe a little different. But this particular book is about an angel that God made, and she goes to a uh, imaginary place, which she doesn't understand, and she ends up earning her wings. It's kind of geared for children who can read. It's also a story that a parent could read to a child. My daughter is reading it to my great-grandson, who is six. He started asking a lot of questions about angel and God, and that was my goal to have the children understand that we have a God. Yeah, that is important. Have you ever written children's books before this? No. What was the most challenging part about writing a children's book as compared to other sorts of writing you've done before? Well, it's more of a youth book than, it's not for small children. Mm -hmm. You know, five or six years old, they're starting to read and understand. I, I don't know, it just came to me and I, it's a fantasy. It just flowed. I got this idea of the angel, and this is my first book out of three for this same angel. I have another one that's going to be published probably within the next month, four to six months, and I'm working on the last one. Was Aria something that came out quickly then? You said it kind of flowed out while you are doing it. Yeah, yeah, it did. The second one also did, and that's for a little bit older audience because Aria learns about free will and good and bad in that book. The third book is taking me a little longer. Got to be a little more careful with that one. But it turned out to be a little bit of a trilogy. Do you have any plans after that then? You're going to wrap up this series with the third book. You think you're going to be writing something more after that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have a historical romance I would like to make. I have traced my ancestry back to 1400s in France. That's been something I'm thinking about. 
but I really like this little angel, and I'm kind of hoping after the third book she's done with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Janet, you're obviously into angels, and you said you find yourself writing this religious fantasy. Where do you think that all came from? What do you think influenced all of this? I have no idea. <laughs> I just sat down and started writing, and I can't even explain it to myself. I just got the idea of this angel, and, and I started writing, and it just fell into place. This book has a dragon, an ogre, it's got some bats, it's got a unicorn. I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> I love it. Janet, were the illustrations tricky to line up with what you've written? No. Covenant House is very good. I told them what I wanted, and they did well. I must admit, I, I think I would like one of my books maybe to be more artistically done instead of the, the graphics. Mm. But they did a good job on this book. I can't, I, I have no complaints. They're doing three graphics for my next book, and I expect that they're going to be just as good. Well, Janet, it doesn't sound like you have a problem coming up with ideas for things to write about. Do you ever get writer's block? Do you ever have a hard time coming up with things to write? I am on the third book. I have to be very careful with the third book hmm. because my area lives on a cloud and there's there's other clouds and it's all classes for souls who have died and they come up to be trained to be warrior angels or guardian angels, that sort of thing. And my third book, I think I'm taking her to heaven because hmm. she told the teacher that there's more souls dying on earth than she sees in the classes. So I'm being a little more careful with my wording for this book. Yeah, it's going to be a little different. Well, this book is out in stores right now, and I encourage you to go look for it. The title is Area. It's written by Janet Rowe, and it's published by Covenant Books. Like we said, you can find this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Janet, it's been great having you on the show here again today. Thanks for joining me again. Well, thank you, and I imagine I'll be back for the next book. <laughs> Looking forward to it. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.